So the Sabbath is over. And as soon as it's light enough to see two Marys and a woman named Salome bring spices to anoint Jesus' corpse, they discover with horror that the stone has been rolled away from the tomb. It's no longer there. And so they walk into the tomb, I assume with a lot of fear, and they see a young man dressed in a white robe sitting there. And he says to them simply, don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene. He has risen. He is not here. Then he shows them um, where Jesus' corpse was until very recently, but it's no longer there. Then the young man gives the women instructions. He says, that, he says to them this, go, go tell the disciples this message, that Jesus is on his way, his way into Galilee. Go there and you'll find him. And then the book of Matthew, chapter 28, verse 28, tells us that the women hurried away from the tomb. And then it says this, that they hurried away from the tomb, afraid and yet filled with joy. And I love that mixture of emotions. I love that really powerful um, meeting point of fear and of joy. Because what they're being told is so far outside of their experience that they are literally filled with fear. They, they are absolutely petrified. Their knees are knocking. They have this fight or flight thing running through them. How should they respond? And yet underneath all of that fear, which is so powerful and so strong, underneath all of that is a profound, unshakable joy that also fills them. Because what they had never dreamed could actually happen, appears to have happened. So the root of fear and the root of joy is one and the same. The root of fear and the root of joy is one and the same. And to help us understand what this fear and joy looks like, let's step into Charlie Bucket's shoes. That's Charlie from, from, from Roald Dahl's book, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Um, now, Charlie, his family are super poor. They have nothing. His parents sleep in a bed, um, all four of them, uh, with you know one set's feet where the other, other set's head is. Uh, his clothes are threadbare. He's continually hungry. And the one thing that his family have been talking about for the past few weeks is the fabled hunt for the golden tickets. And nearly all of the golden tickets have been found except for one. Now, um, he has a birthday, and he gets an extravagant present, which is a Wonka bar. And with his grandfather watching, he opens it, and there's nothing in there except for the chocolate. But later, against all odds, he finds a $1 bill on the floor, and he buys a Whipple Scrumptious Fudge Mallow Delight for 10 cents. He opens the package, and there's no ticket, but there is still the chocolate, so he eats the chocolate. In fact, it says he inhales it. Uh, then he looks at the 90 cents left in his hand, and he decides to purchase another bar. So he takes off the wrapper, and he sees the glint of gold. It's the last of the golden tickets. And that feeling that Charlie feels right there at that moment of that second, of that microsecond in time, that is fear and joy. It's the fear of the, of the meaning of, the, of, of what it means that he's seeing in front of his eyes, the weight and the responsibility and the risk and the knowledge that everything is going to change forever for him but also joy at the truth of what he's seeing in front of his eyes, the hope, the fresh start, 
this, this new chance of life. The person who wins the lottery with their last loony not only misses being thrown out of their house and their children starving, but they can also now purchase their own island paradise. So from hopelessness to a fire hose full of joy, that is what fear and joy looks like. So when we think about the resurrection of Christ, we need to, an- we need to ask this question, so what? If we're to understand where, where fear and joy meet, we have to ask the question, so what? What does the resurrection mean? Why did this singular moment in time fill the two Marys and Salome with fear and joy? And why should the right response from us also be fear and joy? And for that, I want to briefly look at one verse. In fact, it's not even one verse. It's half of a verse, and it's uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. So let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, but I'll also have it up on the screen. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18 says this, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. So when Charlie found the golden ticket, it was proof that golden tickets exist. And Jesus' resurrection was proof that 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18 is true. And what I mean is this. If Jesus hadn't risen again, then 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18 would have been nothing more than a nice hallmark card sentiment. Something that maybe keeps you warm and maybe gives you a little bit of hope when you're feeling a little bit sad. But it's nothing that you can really count on. But when Jesus rose again, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18 suddenly transformed from being a nice concept into being a signed check that you or anyone on this world can actually cash with absolute confidence. 1 Peter 3, verse 18 really is the golden ticket that gains you entrance not only into Willy Wonka's chocolate factory, but into the presence of God himself. Now, I don't like maths. I really don't. It's not my thing. That's why I'm a pastor and not a mathematician. But there are these things called Venn Venn diagrams. And these are useful ways. uh, This is a useful way for us to see how two things seemingly not related, might actually relate to each other. And so what I want us to do is to, is using the words that we find in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, I want us to create a Venn, which is based on 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. So in one circle, there on the left-hand, on the left-hand side, you, you have these three words, Christ, righteous, and God. And then there's Then there's this other circle, which has three more words, which is sins, unrighteous, and you. And these six words are all found in 1 Peter 3.18. Now, these areas, these two sections of the Venn, Christ, righteous, and God, and sins, unrighteous, and you are not meeting at all. There is no, no 
lapping over at all. They, they exist wholly separate from each other, just as the chocolate factory existed wholly separate from Charlie. There was no way that Charlie could get in. The gates were locked. There was no overlap at all. So where does the overlap come from? Where is the thing that helps uh, Christ and righteous and God meet sinful, unrighteous you? Where is, the, where is this link? Where is what's known as in Venn diagrams as the intersection? Because naturally, it does not exist. Because, it's, because we read in the Bible, it says that God cannot look upon evil. That his pure, pure holy nature cannot mingle with our sinful, lustful, rage-filled, hateful nature. But then we do actually discover a point of contact, which is known in Venn as the, the, the intersection. And in 1 Peter 3 verse 18, it's just one word, and that word is this. The word is Christ suffered. This is the bridge between righteous God and Christ and unrighteous sinning you. This, this, this bridge that links us to God was forged through the suffering of one individual. And the amazing truth and grace of this then is that it was, it was Jesus Christ who was over on the side of holy, untouchable, perfect God who suffered and who forged the path with, the, with his own blood. Now Romans chapter 5 verse 1 and 2 words it like this. It says, therefore since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access into the grace in which we now stand. So it's through Christ. He's the link. His, his suffering is the intersection. So what this means is that we can, those of us who know Christ, who are serving him, who are following him, we have peace with God right now. And those of you who don't yet, you have the opportunity that through him we have gained access into this grace. And what this means is that Jesus, who was righteous, was punished as if he was unrighteous. That, that clean Jesus was punished as if he was filthy Jesus. That Jesus took the rap for us. Jesus paid our debt. He's the one who looked across this huge gap between, between us and God, and he constructed some sort of a bridge but it cost his life to make it. His blood is laced through all the, uh, the wood and the brick of that bridge. Last week I was uh, reading the news and I read about this, this man, uh, a French gendarme, a police officer whose name was Arnaud, Arnaud Beltrain. And he was killed because he took the place of a hostage who was being held by a gunman. And this and this gunman had killed at least one other person and had wounded at least six other people before using this, this specific woman as a human shield. This just happened last week. Now, Lieutenant Colonel, ba- Lieutenant C- Colonel Beltrain arrived on site with this team and he went in and he literally swapped himself for her. He said, you can have me if you let her go. And later on, uh, those police who were outside, they didn't know what was happening, but they heard some gunshots. They rushed in and they found him with gunshot wounds to his arms, his feet, and a knife wound in his neck. He died the next morning. Now, 
One of the officials said this of this man. He says, in serving his country, he gave his life. And then the French president, Macron, said this. To accept uh, that we may die so that the innocent may live, this is the essence of what it means for us to be a soldier. Now, it's not mentioned much in the mainstream media, but it appears that Beltrain was was someone who loved Jesus. And if this is true, then we cannot find a more wonderful symbol of the Spirit of Christ than someone who literally takes the place of another and who is killed in their place, who is murdered in their place, because this is the heart of the gospel. This is the heart of the message of the gospel. Um, At least it's sort of the heart of the message of the gospel. You see, when Macron explained what had happened here. He said that, the, that this man was so amazing because, because he, he died so that those who were innocent might live. But the message of the gospel is even better. It's even more amazing because, because Jesus didn't die so that those who were innocent might live. He died that, so that those who were guilty might live. Now, we read in Romans chapter 5, verse 7, um, someone trying to wrestle with this insanity of someone actually dying for someone who is guilty. And here's what we read in Romans chapter 5, verse 7 and 8. It says this, Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ, he died for us. And so what that's saying is that the very essence of God's love, if you really, if you really boil it down, it ends up in this one act of Christ laying down his life for you and for me while we were absolutely without any merit. It should not have happened. We were filthy. We were worthless we were horrendous and he looked at us and he died this is the heart of the gospel and may, maybe it's hard for us to really understand what that means because it's religious language but maybe it'll help you understand this if if uh, if if you can imagine yourself selling everything that you have absolutely everything and then you and then you quit your job, you leave your family, and you fly over the other side of the world, you find a homeless child, and you give them a check for $100,000. That's what this is like. That is what is at the heart of the gospel. And we read that here in Second Corinthians 8 verse 9, which says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, he had everything. He was that person with everything. Yet for your sake, he flew across the world, he sold everything, and he gave us a check, not for $100,000, but for life. Yet for your sake, he became poor so that, through the, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. This is the foundation of the gospel. It's not fair. It's not equal. It's outrageous. It's offensive. And it's this horrendous exchange of the rich for the poor, the righteous for the unrighteous, the clean for the filthy. And so those two circles have now been brought um, 
near, near to each other. We now have an intersection, which is Jesus Christ's sacrifice, his pain and the suffering which he went through, him laying down his life. This is where the overlap happens. And when Jesus rose from the dead, it's the stamp that he was God that he could actually do this, that he's not some well-meaning but rather delusional religious guy who lived 2,000 years ago. Now, this verse um, talks about the righteous and the unrighteous, and these are not really personal terms, you know, they're more like categories. And so on the one side, you have the righteous, and and in this one circle... There is only one person, which is Christ. No one else is in that except him. And there on the other side, on the other category, you have every other single person who's ever lived on the face of this earth throughout all human history. So it's crowded. But it's not really personal. It's it's hard for us to um, really engage with that. But moving from one side of the Venn through to the other side of of the Venn diagram is intensely personal. It's a story about you. It's a story of a powerless, helpless individual who's suffering from a terminal illness, being lifted up in strong arms over to the only physician who can help, who can restore. What does it say here? It says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. Why? To bring you to God. You're lifted up in his arms. And what this means is that we cannot cross um, that space between, uh, between us and God by ourselves. We aren't able to do it. We are powerless. Our legs don't function. We are crippled. What we need is Jesus to bring us. We need him to lift us. We need him to bring us home. And this is what the essence of faith is. It's trusting that Jesus has the desire and the power to pick you up and to carry you. We don't have to have enough faith to walk over to God. We just have to have enough faith to cry out and to truly believe that Jesus can lift us up and he can carry us over to God. He can bring us to him. And when Jesus rose from the dead, what this was was a supernatural flexing of his muscles, a proof that he has what it takes to lift you up, to pick you up, and to bring you over to God. You see, if you see a strong man pull a jumbo jet, you don't have any question that he can carry you. And so if Jesus, if he carried the weight of our sin, if he died and he was buried, and then he, and then he gave death a roundhouse kick in the jaw, then we don't have to have any question. We, we don't have to have any doubt that he can pick us up and that he can carry us. Because this is what he does. He's the rescuer. He's the savior. He's the one who moves from one side of the Venn diagram over to the other so that he can carry us back. And as we experience this rescuing power in our lives, how can we not feel fear and joy? Fear that we are, we are, being, we are being confronted with, with this power, with this force that has outpowered and outmaneuvered sin itself and the grave itself. And so it's right that we look at this and we feel fear because this power is intense, this power is immense. And yet we feel joy because... This intense power, this immense power, isn't just a force, it's a person. 
We feel joy because we realize that he is for us. We feel joy because we find out that he wants us. He wants to bring us home. If only we will rest in his arms and let him do all of the heavy lifting, then we can know this true life that is found on the other side of the chasm that separates us from holy God. We can know what it is to hold this wonderful golden ticket in our hands that leads us to a new life and a new family and a new start and a, and a new nation and a new father. Let me close in reading 2 Corinthians 4 verse 14. We know that the one who raised the Lord from the dead will also raise us with him and present us with you to himself. We know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. 